Congress. And so um, let me just pray for, for him and his presentation, and then we'll, we'll turn it over to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, this beautiful spring day. Thank you that we could all be together on the Lord's Day, be able to worship together and to enjoy your goodness. And we thank you that before that, we can hear of your work in faraway places where we, through our gifts and our prayers, have been supporting this work. And now we get to see the good things you've been doing through your spirit and through the faithful labors of our dear brother and sister. Pray you bless him as he presents to us and encourage him even as he shares with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. It's good to be back here. And uh, thank you, Ryan. <laughs> I knew that had to be Ryan. Um, it's good to see a lot of you that I've known for uh, more than 20 years and, and working at this church. And it's good to see a lot of new faces as well. I'm going to start by a little video put out by what's called Watoto Children's Choir. Watoto in Luganda means children. And this is a, a church in, in Kampala, the capital, that does a lot of these kinds of videos. And I, I'm showing it to you not just because it's fun, but it is fun. But it shows you a lot of the culture of Uganda. What you're seeing, what you're going to see in the video, is typical uh, scenes at, at beauty parlors or saloons, as they call them there, not salons, saloons, and all kinds of life, boat drivers with the motorcycle taxis and the, the food they eat and the markets and so forth, but also just the spirit of Uganda in terms of the happiness of the people. So let me try to do this so you can see it. I forgot to mention the word webale in Luganda means thank you. 
So, very typical of life there. Let's see if I can exit out of this. Sorry. Dr. S Dr. Spiros, you're not watching that I'm only reading my readers here, I know. Uh, where is that? PowerPoint. Okay. Very typical of life. I mean, the Ugandans, uh, Ugandans are always moving. And I'm sure, by the way, that gives you good suggestions for your next children's choir in terms of how to, uh, to do that. Uh, there's no clip, there's no uh, remote, or is it? I just push buttons. I don't mind. Okay, I'll just click buttons. So, um, again, typical of life there in Uganda. All the mud, all the dirt, all the markets, all the stuff, but also a very happy spirit among the people. That's who we were right there in what used to be Brad Pepo's office, which is now Jeremiah Montgomery's office, in 2014-ish, I think, when that picture was taken. We took off with our son Noah, and there's Africa. What I'm going to do, by the way, is I'm going to try to um, blaze through the first quarter of these slides, because if we sat and talked about all of them, we'd be three hours. So I'm just going to move through the slides rather quickly. You'll see pictures of lions and elephants and all those African things, but the main focus will be at last quarter on mostly of the work that we're doing in Uganda. So there's Uganda on the equator. Um, it's been a bit confusing here recently, the sun going down uh, later, much later, and it's going to keep getting later. It comes up about 6.30 or 7 and goes down 6.30 or 7 all year long, which is kind of nice. Uh, Uganda, as it says, 41 million roughly. Life expectancy is 58 years. Just recently I heard a stat that's more than almost 70% of the population demographic of Uganda is under the age of 25 years old. So that means the millions of people know nothing. <laughs> they don't know anything about their history. They're brand new. This is our team. Uh, the Uganda Mission, which is made up of Karamoja, which is sort of north, uh, northwest, northeast, and then uh, the Mbali Station, which is where we are. Uh, all, <laughs> about three-quarters of all the people in that picture are now gone, which is a significant prayer request. We need missionaries. There was James Folkert who just landed in British, British Columbia two days ago. And there are, no, there, are, there are no ministers in Karamoja. I'm the only minister in the entire field in Uganda, and we've had as many as five before, uh, and we could, we could use it. Just typical scenery, about an hour north of us, CP Falls. All these pictures are just, again, wildlife and the beauty of Africa, where we live, pictures that we took. We have coffee on our compound. I did make my own coffee, but I buy it now because it's a lot easier to buy. Uh, poisonous snakes. Uh, this is a picture from the city of Kampala, the capital. As you go back deeper into that picture, you see what it's like to drive because it gets nothing but more and more and more congested as you go into it. Um, children are the, the neediest and the greatest resources. Well, this is a picture of a slum called Katwe and also in Kampala. When we go home and through there, we drive through this area where uh, the set, setting for the movie, Disney movie, The Queen of Katwe, which is a super good movie. Uh, typical picture of a marketplace. Typical way I've, I haven't seen anybody surprisingly driving like this in Beaver Creek yet, where we are, uh, where there's no cattle crossings. And this is the ever-present Boda Boda, they call it, which is a motorcycle taxi. Uh, and they carry everything from steel beans on the construction project uh, to missionaries, and to pigs and four goats and uh, foam and then mattresses that will become that. And then chickens and everything. I call this the Boda Boda body because... <laughs> We've started, actually, <laughs> we have a collection. I mean, you, you may think missionaries are weird, but we're actually on a motorcycle. We just, we're always fumbling with our camera. We can never take pictures fast enough. But um, ch children in Uganda, as I say, there's the lo most lovely resources. There are just millions of, of kids, uh, but there's also uh, a high mortality rate. The average Ugandan woman has about six and a half kids, average. And polygamy is common in, in many parts of Uganda, where we are in particular. So there's a lot of kids all the time, everywhere. Uh, one of the things Connie do, has done, COVID shot it down, but we just started back up uh, village school teacher training for village school teachers. And we have three village schools that we're working with now. We had seven when we came, but we have whittled it down to the quality ones. And there are churches in New Zealand supporting that. And Connie's worked there in some of the village schools. Uh, I also personally, am, I'm gonna move through this quickly. I do what's called mobile mentoring for the OPC. So as I travel around Africa, various places where there's uh, particular pastoral training uh, is needed, Ethiopia, uh, Khartoum, uh, on our way back and forth now, we've recently connected to uh, missionary uh, churches in Hungary. 
and uh, this, particularly the Sudanese Reformed Church. We go there, I've been going there about two times every year for the past two years, I think. And this is a, a Bible conference that we had. Um, there you can see, by the way, that reminds me, this is why I'm wearing my fancy shirt. Uh, this is made by a friend of ours. It's a typical shirt that I might wear when I'm preaching or teaching or, or teaching some, some sort of formal thing. Um, but the Sudanese Reformed Church, that was a conference in Juba, which is their capital. And when we went there and saw the needs, uh, in my mind, the first thing that clicked is we need to develop Knox School of Theology, which is, you'll see, developing uh, as, a, as a way of getting hold of teaching pastors there in, uh, in South Sudan. South Sudan has gone through terrible civil wars for, for, I mean, decades, but also recently for 2013 to 16, deadly, terrible uh, tribal war and conflict. So the Sudanese Reformed Church there just north of Juba is one church we're working with closely. Uh, again, that's just a conference. That's our meeting with James Folkerts went with me, Dave Nakla, and the guy on the right there, on the, 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 the Sudan, he's actually from South Sudan. His name's Okuch. You'll hear more about him. We visited IDP camps when we were there. Another burden for me was to try to get help to, to Juba uh, to teach their pastors. They, pastoral training, in my opinion, is the number one need in Africa right now. If you, see, if you see on TV or you see on stats, it says, you know, African Christianity is growing by the gajillions. Don't necessarily, some of them can't even read. So the growth of Christianity in Africa, it's true. Uh, uh, here, but anyway, it's, it's not always encouraging, and pastoral training is a need. The needs here at this camp, since we took that picture, this man has actually died. He had his leg blown off by a landmine, and the one good leg he had was infected. Another thing we have been doing is pastoral retreats. That died with COVID, but it's been where we started again last year. It's a group of pastors that we're working with from the PCU. Uh, this is a scene from our, our worship service there. I may, uh, no, I'll skip that. I may just say I don't have time for videos. They were taken on trips with the Nile. This is the first time any of the women even ever got out of the district of Mbali. So they were actually able to see uh, the Nile River. Uh, Jinja is the town we're in here, which is about two and a half hours from us, kind of a big tourist spot. Um, and so they had a, a wonderful time teaching, preaching, and other things. These are just typical shots of what I will be doing uh, around worshiping. That mango tree, by the way, was a, a that's where the, a church plant first started. And they now have since gotten a really super cool, good building. Uh, that they love because when you have a roof over your head you're protected from the rain and the rainy season and the heat in the, in the summer so it's actually a, a huge thing for them um, most of what I've been doing lately in the village you'll see that I've been pulling out of the village and the village ministry that was typical there over the last 20 years and I've moved into the city but the, the thing I do most consistently now in the village is uh, burials uh, lots of burials because there's lots of death this is a one day old little boy that died by the way, that, just a good news, the guy on the right with his hand on his uh, head is, is, was my former student and now my working at Knox as my procurement officer, Moya David. He's just uh, two weeks ago had a baby boy, so that's good news. Um, we just recently lost our 25-year-old nurse, to, again, just to tell you how close death is to our lives there. It's, it's everywhere. And she was sick for a long time. We had no idea how badly off she was, but even the 25-year-old just recently died, ordination services. And this one I'll, I'll slow down a little bit on because you, you guys should be thanked personally for the money you're giving for the Committee on Diaconate Ministries to, do, uh, to drill wells. Uh, this is one of the wells that we, we drilled. We have two more well projects that we're preparing to do near Knox School of Theology that we're going to use partly for the seminary and partly for the community. Um, this is the well ceremony. You can't really hear it, hear it that much, I think this is, but. This is what happens. The guy on the right is, is a local politician. He's called an LC or a local councilman. Every time you have these well opening ceremonies, you know, you've spent uh, months, a lot of time surveying, working with uh, well drilling companies, boreholes they call them. And then the day of the opening of the ceremony, some guy, some guy shows up who's a local politician who's done nothing, but as most politicians, takes credit for it. So he, uh, he's there with me and at a typical well opening ceremony, I'll preach the gospel, maybe the woman at the well or some sort of something like that, and then it's a big gathering of the entire village. Keep losing that, there it is. So this is sort of a...
So again, we'll immediately start pumping water, and the water will um, be fresh, that people will start using it immediately, which is a super big contrast. That very village was getting their water from a local swamp here. So that's the kind of life-giving water that you're giving to the people through the diaconate ministries. It's a great ministry. Um, we also, like I said, have two new wells coming at Knox. Now I'll slow down a little bit. Uh, there are three things that we have been doing, that is Connie and I have been doing since we've been there, that are kind of unique to our time there. They didn't, either didn't exist or didn't exist in their present form. One was this. This is called Reformation Book Room. Uh, we realized that Ugandans and Africans in general, there's a proverb that says if you want to hide something from an African, put it in a book. <laughs> Uh, because they don't read and they don't care to read and there aren't even many books around. So we started a book room. Um, the idea came from Brian Wingard. I should give credit where credit is due. He wanted to get books in the hands of Africans, but he just wanted to create like a room with books. And I thought, boring. So <laughs> we said, let's, let's add coffee and crafts and make it sort of like a, an African coffee shop, which is what we did. Uh, that's the ex exterior. We bought an old medical clinic gutted it, fixed it up, and basically created what, uh, as you see there, looks like a coffee shop as you enter. A couple of things I'll highlight, and some of you guys who have heard this before, you know this, but the book room was originally about books, but it's also developed into um, development projects, seriously good development projects beyond just the worst thing you can do there in any nation with poverty is just give out money, give out things. But we've given them an opportunity. In the bottom left corner, you see those beads that are hanging there that we sell. Those are made by widows in the village churches. So in other words, it provides them an actual opportunity to do some work and to make some money in, in a meaningful way. And people like to buy those. So on the left, you see we have our espresso machine, our brownies. And on the right, you see our new baristas and managers. We now have all new staff there. I think four women that are working there and, a, and a, also a janitor. Provides income, again, for them as well. The, all the pottery you see there is made by um, orphans who were trained in Jinja who make us the pottery. So again, there's another development aspect to it. We only use those pot, that pottery, and we sell the pottery too as well. And beside that is uh, the coffee that you see there. It's called Zuku Kabora, which in Luganda means wake up nicely. <laughs> I love that. Um, we sell that coffee. That coffee, a friend of mine from the UK, Dave Bishop, has developed the coffee on our mountain right behind us. Uh, and they were all dead small coffee farmers that were resurrected. So again, more development for the area, which is pretty satisfying. Uh, also a place for the children. I wanted lots of good theological books. Connie made sure that there was a small children's section with something other than Banner of Truth. So the kids go there and read, and they really do read. Most children don't read, by the way, so these are unique kids in that they actually are becoming literate. Uh, the language is English, by the way, officially, legally, the language is English. Everyone starts to use the language supposedly at third grade, P3 they call it, where there's a transition from your local tribal dialect to English. It's not a very, it's not a very smooth transition, but it's legally there. So all the books we have are in English. We do have some Luganda liturgy, liter, lit, liturgy, literature. Another aspect to the book room, and again, I'm, it's, um, when we were thinking about it, like what targets are we going to hit, what are we going to do with it, we weren't entirely sure. But we ended up hitting a lot more targets than we ever imagined. This woman, for instance, is from the Netherlands, Yvonne. She runs a women's prison ministry. She's a flaming Pentecostal. And uh, she was asking one day, where, where are the books here on, on why women should be ordained? I said, well, there are none. <laughs> and there never will be. <laughs> so um, she's, she, I saw her once using uh, Calvin and Hendrickson to develop a Bible study for women's prison. So this is a Pentecostal who's using good literature from our book room. Pastors, there are a handful of pastors, not a lot, but a handful that come in weekly, grab a book, read it as preparation for the sermon, put a little uh, marker in it, come back later in the week or to, to work on it. So it's useful, very useful in that sense. Um, thank you for the books. Most of the books came from the Ohio Presbytery. Yes, sir. Um, a lot of work. <laughs> like uh, we just kind of, for instance, the floors we just painted. Uh, Bob Wright, who was there at the time, is a good carpenter, so he made all the shelves for us with real wood that's actually dry, which you never get in Uganda. You'll get a piece of green wood that's made into something. They give it to you, and it looks great. And like two weeks later, <laughs> it's it's bent and twisted and and wobbles. So all of the even the even the counter you saw there, Bob Wright made that. So and then the local things we just found coolers for the, for the sodas and the water, 
I searched all over Uganda, which was kind of fun for my espresso machine. It was on a mission. Uh, went down in the dark basement uh, where a guy turned on the light and the whole room was filled with torn up espresso machines. So he somehow cobbled together an old machine and fixed it and it's been working for now for since 2017, I think is when we started this. Uh, but the books came from you. So, um, and by the way, Connie, Connie, I have to give her credit for the, anything that's beautiful in there is Connie. Uh, I got the books, but Connie made it beautiful. So, you know, the material that you see like this, the, the flashy, shiny, it's called Katange. Uh, all the curtains are made of that. And it just, they, they make it, when you walk into it, it's a completely unique place in Mbali because it looks like a, 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 a first-class coffee bar, coffee shop. And it's really nice, but it's filled with these books. You guys, some of you know Jan and Joe Tobias. They came over and organized all our books, more than um, about 2,000 books put into the Library of Congress system. Uh, and the most useful is the small section in the middle towards the bottom, which, which are the counseling pamphlets. Those are the most used of all. They come from uh, CCEF and then growth. There's a new something growth. I think Welch is doing a lot of stuff. People ask all the time, can we send books? At, the, at this point, the answer is no. I mean, you can if you want to spend a lot of money that may not be useful. And we have all the books we need, especially all kinds of books. I may have told this story before. It's a true story. But when we were finally getting to the, through our books, I opened up a box, cut it open, pulled out a book, and it said, Brain Surgery for Beginners. So I said, you know what? We need to be more targeted on our book request. <laughs> and we've never used that book either, by the way. So uh, we, we can use Bibles and counseling pamphlets. If you want to send a box of counseling pamphlets to the home office in, in Willow Grove, then we, we use them as our mules. So they'll carry over in their luggage when they come pamphlets. Bibles, it would be preferable if you want to raise a couple hundred bucks or something for Bibles to send it directly to the home office and market Bibles for the book room. Uh, because I can buy Bibles there. And, and if you ship Bibles over, you're going to spend about 150 bucks that we could just use to go right there and buy Bibles. So, yes, I see that hand. Oh, okay. Yeah, by that you mean uh, first catechism it's called, a kid's catechism. I don't know what you, which ones you use. But there's all varieties. But, yeah, we give those out all the time, as you'll see, along with our Bibles to kids. Um, yeah. So we also use the book room for African literature book studies. Uh, we're about to use, this was a Chinua Achebe book called Things Fall Apart. And we meet on Saturdays once in a while to have book studies there uh, as well. It's very interesting. We're about to use another book called No Longer at Ease by Chinua Achebe. Very fascinating to use African literature in Africa and discuss it with Africans. Because most of the famous literature is pretty much anti-colonial, anti-white, anti-Christian. So to, to grapple with that with other Africans, with the gospel center, is pretty, pretty fun and useful. Uh, we also use the book room twice a year for concerts for Christmas and Easter. This is our, one of our Christmas concerts. You'll see a variety of different pictures. We open the street up. Lately, we've been sort of semi-closing it off, which is a lot of fun. We had more people at our last Christmas concert than we ever had, uh, which was pretty exciting. Uh, there's our, our two managers dressed as Christmas people, I guess. I don't know. Um, and there's the kids' choir. Again, I know that you have similar Christmas choirs like this at Covenant. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so if we have local churches that participate. They come and they sing their children's songs. And again, you, you won't find an African where there's music that doesn't move. I mean, I know we don't move here. We're not really sort of a lot. But you won't find music going without people doing what you saw in that first video. They just dance. They just enjoy so, which I love. So, again, preaching on the street, I'll preach a sermon relevant to Christmas or Easter, and then we'll have what I call as a reformed raffle, where we put the names in a pot. We try to target children when they come, give them a little piece of paper with their name on it. Uh, but as you can see, even adults are loving it. The guy on the left is enjoying his new Bible. But we'll give away Bibles uh, at sort of after I preach and at an intermission, which is a lot of fun. So the book room has been uh, a powerful ministry. It's simple. It's expensive. We, we have to pay rent, and we found a... We actually developed the entire area. There was nothing on that street. We, we fixed it up, painted it. Next thing we know, there's beauty saloons going in all around us, and there's new, there was a smoothie shop that they tried for a while. So the whole place is developing well, which means our rent goes up every year. So it's always, in my mind, sort of like, is this really worth you know, the money every month? But I think it is, and more than just books. Uh, more than just books. We provide people for meeting places. Expats or other missionaries from the area will meet there and have their meetings and have coffee and chai and whatever. 
uh, local Ugandans will be, meet there for a meeting because it's a beautiful, comfortable place to meet, and you don't have very many of those there. And the, we keep our prices, by the way, low enough that a local Ugandan could afford it, at least one with a job, which is not very common either. But again, we're in the city, so we have a large number. We have a doctor from the hospital that comes. We have a couple bankers that come after work. It's a, it's a meeting place, and it's very nice, very useful. And it's developed a community in which, for instance, one guy from Somalia named Mohammed, surprising, Seems like everyone I meet from Somalia is Muhammad, but he's there, and he's there every day, surrounded by Christians, always talking about theology and moral issues and things like that. So Muhammad is a regular there. So it's a, it's a very useful thing for the community. Uh, the, the, the next thing that we've spent a lot of time on just starting this past year is our, a new church plant as part of a new denomination called the Reformation Church in East Africa. Our church is called All Nations Presbyterian Church. And um, there's a picture of our meeting at the top. You can see we're meeting at the book room now. Uh, but we have, uh, by the time it's filled up, we have around 50 people, which isn't too many, but it's a lot for a new church plant, and it's too much for our book room. So pray for a new meeting place for that. We need a bigger place. When we first met, you'll see at the bottom, we met at a school run by Muslims. Pretty cool story. The school was run by Muslims, and they needed someone to do a... Uh, they have, in Uganda, you have two religious education tracks. Uh, Islamic and Christian. So for the religious tract that's Christian, they usually provide a worship service on Sunday for the children. It's a boarding school in, in Mbali. So as we're negotiating or bargaining, as they call it, for the rent, the guy said, well, there's just one thing. We, we really wouldn't, if you do this, we'd like you to take over kind of like our children's worship service. We're like, sure, we'll treat it like a Sunday school. We'll teach them the catechism and Bible stories and songs and so forth. I, I said, how many? He said, there's like 350 kids. <laughs> so we're like, wow. So again, that opportunity, we did not drop it. Even though we've left, there's the kids. We still send over two of my interns that are doing the program. They're mainly teaching Bible stories and catechism and a few songs. We're trying to ro slowly root out the, some of the local songs they sing, which many of them, they do tribal dances sometimes, even in worship, which is pretty weird because the tribal dances are not modest. So we're trying to push out the tribal dances and move in like Judy Rogers or something like that in the place. But it's still, there as you see in the bottom right is my, my man Okuch giving away catechisms after they remember 20 and then it moves up to 30 and 40. They get uh, a catechism for free, which they just love getting books because it's not very common. So that's, that's the new church plants. Pray for us, pray for us to have a place to, to meet. All right, I can slow down a bit, I think, here, because I want to slow down here. This is Knox School of, uh, it's called, used to be called Knox Theological College. That's the, the iteration that Phil Proctor gave it when he came there. When it first started, it was called Westminster Theological College, uh, started by Tony Curto, and then through a various providences, it, uh, it dissolved and then came back into existence as Knox Theological College. And then um, Eric Tunica, when he came there, he also kept the name but changed all the curriculum. And when I got there, I noticed that everybody, every missionary that comes just starts from scratch, starts over and starts from new, which is, I didn't think was healthy. So, uh, and also it wasn't in that good a shape. That's a picture I took, I think I visited from here, from Covenant in 2013, when we first visited. That's a picture I took of our sign. You can see it's a little dilapidated. And by the way, that's the mountains called Mount Wanali, which is where we get our coffee from. Behind that is the great Mount Elgon, which is the large Elgon range which separates Kenya from Uganda. So that was the sign when I got there. And then after some deliberation, I thought, you know what, we should, we, we have to get, I thought we should move up the quality of education and the quality of students. The only way to do that is to seek accreditation. And everyone told me you can't do it. It's too expensive. It takes too long, too much red tape. Uh, there are literally stacks of files sitting on, on bureaucrats' desks for years sometimes before they even read the file, let alone go through the application process. So it's pretty difficult. So we basically, at the bottom you'll see, we became a study center of Livingstone International University. So we had immediate accreditation. I'll show you our first graduating class here in a moment. Uh, but we had it through a, a, a university run primarily through Church of Christ. And it became increasingly clear to me that I wasn't going to teach Campbellite theology or any other Church of Christ theology. So we, we realized, I realized I needed to, to, to have our own if we were going to do it. And plus it became pretty exciting to have a, a reformed undergraduate education there in Uganda that doesn't really exist on any meaningful scale. There's one uh, undergraduate program in Kampala that's down to three students. Uh, 
So there's another one that has diplomas, but there's only one that actually has a bachelor's degree in, in ministry or theology. So we started doing it through Livingstone. This just is one of the things we always did. We have a burger bash every year, cheeseburgers and hot dogs. Um, did I tell you my hot dog story already? Okay, some of you said yes. I won't tell it again. Um, so there they are. They play soccer or football, as they call it there, and we eat a big meal, enjoy American food, and, uh, and just have a good time. It's sort of a social part of what we do as a, as a, in the life of the, of the school. So back to my sign. I just want you to know, as all over the years, even when I, I, you notice I repainted the sign, updated it, and did everything, but it was always annoying that that Islamic school was like two feet higher than my, my knock sign. So uh, as we begin to develop, as you'll see in a moment, that's our first graduating class from the program. There, there are one guy's missing. There are eight guys there. This is at Livingstone International University, and they only had 12 in their entire program. I say that so you can get a notion of the scale of what we're entering into at Knox. Eight of the 12 graduates at the only university that offers this were from Knox, which means that now the 13 guys I have in my program is already more than the program they have or any other reform program in all of East or Central Africa. Just doesn't exist. So our program, you know, 13 guys may not sound like much, but it's huge when you consider the options and what we're doing. So these guys, eight of them graduated, celebrating. Two of those guys were granted what's called top class or first class. Um, when COVID hit, by the way, that gave me the opportunity to work on accreditation. I was stuck there. By March, by the end of March 2020, I think, uh, uh, they started to flatten the curve. Don't know if you guys remember that phrase, but the curve never flattened in Uganda as it didn't here. So I'm stuck there with no, no ability to meet at church, no ability to teach, no ability to pretty much stay home. We got a special permit to help nurses go back and forth from the hospital. But other than that, no work. So I, I said, you know what, let's just work. And I literally just went online, started downloading and filling out paperwork to get accredited for accreditation for Knox as an independent school. So as bad as COVID was, there may be one good thing <laughs> in the world for us anyway, that this gave me the opportunity. Here's Our logo, by the way, was created by Chris Tobias. I said, give me a logo for Knox that's African and Presbyterian. And he laughed, as he always does. But in the end, he always produced this. In the middle, uh, what looks like a flame, which represents Christ or the God or the Holy Spirit in the middle of our education, comes from the crest of Uganda, the shield of Uganda. He just concentrically shrunk it to look like a flame. And behind it, the X there is the, is the cross of St. Saint, Saint Andrews, which is our Scottish Presbyterian heritage. So Knox School of Theology is now an African Presbyterian school on its own, which is really beautiful. And as you see, I fixed my sign. Uh, one of... <laughs> Certainly one of the goals I had when I made a new sign was to, to put the Islamic school in a, in a small scale. You couldn't even see our sign from the road before this. It was just one of those things. So this is one of my proud moments. Actually, I was enjoying that. Along with that, we basically started receiving money towards uh, during COVID in odd ways, like a church in New Zealand and a church in Australia uh, contacted me and said, do you have any needs? And I, I had just gotten a donation from a woman in a church in Southern California to build a pavilion, as you'll see in a moment. I wanted the pavilion so that we could have a cafeteria, so that we could have a, uh, a place for a local church. We have a church plant there to meet, and also for conferences, so that Knox could be the center of theological conferences in eastern Uganda, which it has become, actually. Um, that's the old campus on the left. That's the new campus on the right. And that represents a new roof, new paint, new tiles, some new windows, and updated. Because as you see, from the left, it, it, that's where it looked like when I first got there, and that's where it is now. This is our new gate uh, with our new logo. My logo is everywhere. I have it on coffee cups and T-shirts and everything, so I should have brought some. Maybe I give, I'll, I'll make Pastor Patton an honorary member of our faculty or something. Uh, that's just, again, this, this construction that we started doing. Um, early on, it was a pavilion and then a, a re renovation of the entire campus early on. And then it, soon I realized we, we needed to grow the National Council of Higher Education was, is the accrediting agency, and they basically said what you have is, is small but adequate. So we started to think about developing. Um, and by the way, this is the, this is the pavilion that we built, beautiful building, two offices on the back and a small kitchen, as well as a place here to meet for worship worked out exactly as we'd hoped. And we have conferences there as well. This is a picture of the church as it's meeting. I think this was during COVID because they were outdoors and they did the social distance thing. So they were able to continue meeting on the whole. Uh, again, this is our dorm. 
And the dorm room, for me, at least was inspired uh, by my visits to Juba. That's why you'll notice the name of it would be uh, Juba House. At first, I had uh, Juba Lodge. You might have seen me in my newsletter saying, Juba Lodge, Juba Lodge. And finally, before the, the paint was about ready to go up, and I said, ah, oh, Juba Lodge, I can see it now. And both my African friends were like, oh, doctor, maybe we could change the name. It's like, no, Juba Lodge, it's beautiful, it's perfect, it's like a place to live. And I said, what's going on? They both looked, because they knew what I didn't know culturally. They said, a lodge is a place for prostitution. So I said, Juba House. So you'll see, you'll see uh, that the name ch- ch- changes pretty quickly uh, from Juba Lodge to Juba House. And this, we also, we got a huge grant from Word and Deed Ministry. Praise God for that. It's a URC diaconate group. Has done such a splendid job. We couldn't have done it without their help. We did get some individual donations and some church donations, but by and large, it was from the... Uh, Word indeed. So we decided to build a warden's house, which is like a, a, a resident director for dorms, I guess, or, or dean of men. And all offices, we, National Council says you have to have an office for this and an office for that, like an office for your student council, an office of infirmary for your nurse. You have to have a nurse, which we didn't have, which we just lost, as I said. Um, another office for other things. So this provided some office space and an infirmary. And at the end is the home for the warden, which is a two-bedroom, large house with indoor, everything very quite nice, So and a new kitchen. So there's just been a lot going on. Our library at the top, you see, was the old, even with books piled on a table. The bottom is the new, uh, which we were able to renovate one of the old buildings that used to be a classroom into uh, our new library. And then this is, of course, Juba House not Juba Lodge, uh, with our logo, of course, present. And um, the bottom picture on the right are some of the dorm students that stay there. We have five of them. The one, I think, from Kenya is not there, um, which represents, again, you have to understand, we went from being a, basically a, a village pastor's training center with no accreditation to now being what they consider an international theological seminary or, or college. We're an other degree-awarding institution. This is Juba House. The guy's out there, the guy at the top and the, and the bottom left. Uh, I call him Burundi. He's actually not named Burundi, but he's from Burundi. Uh, and then Joseph in the center is from South Sudan. And on the right here um, uh, is from Congo. He's also from Congo. He's, he's a real brown noser. He's holding my book there in the picture on purpose. Uh, I love that guy. Uh, no. So these are, and then we have an, uh, another, three students from South Sudan. We, so we have students from Burundi, uh, from Congo, from South Sudan and from Kenya and from Uganda. And we have applications now coming in from Ethiopia and Eritrea, or at least Eritreans who are in refugees. So uh, the word is already out, and we're going to grow by God's grace. I don't know why we, we, we couldn't or shouldn't, especially with the dorm room. The dorm room was built with five rooms on each side, two students each. Uh, and so you have 20 uh, capacity. We have five students in there now, so there's plenty of room for growth in the dorm room. And part of the reason for this is that I've been praying and really consciously working on trying to build an African foundation for what we're doing because we're not going to be there forever and one of the goals of a missionary is to to work yourself out of work. And I taught, the man on the left there, his name's Okuch, Andrew, Ojalo, Ojulo, and believe it or not, there's three or four more names. Uh, The Sudanese can have as many as eight or nine, ten names. The Kermajong have nine or ten names too, so I stuck with four, but we call him Okuch. (laughs) And he was my student at Africa Reformation Theological Seminary, which is a master's level seminary in Kampala. He was one of my best students. So when COVID hit, towards the end, when I was getting some traction on all the red tape, I thought I really could use a a mule to help me work through this, an administrative person, because I hate administration and that. And so we hired Okuch. The school had been closed a significant amount enough time that we had money. So we hired Okuch, and he came full time. And I've just, you need to just pray for him that God. Uh, keeps him there, keeps him healthy. This is his wife, Rebecca, on the right. I did their wedding last year. They were married. Uh, they recently lost a six-month-old baby, a premature birth, stillborn. So they've been through some recent difficulties, but Okuch is hanging tough. And he's my right-hand man, so pray for him. And my hope would be that he could replace me as principal of the school. He's entered a program at Re- Puritan Reform Theological Seminary for THM that may translate into a Ph.D. in, in historical theology which you don't need a PhD to do what I'm doing, but it helps in Africa in terms of credentials. It, it gives you a, the National Council wants so many people in your faculty to have doctor, or terminal doctor degrees, PhDs and, and so forth in their field. So 
pray for him. And I could not have done everything I've done to get this place accredited without Okooch. I just have to give credit where credit is due. And again, speaking of building the foundation, this is our new kind of uh, mostly African faculty and staff. I'm the only uh, Mzungu, is what they call me, it's Swahili for white guy. So I'm the only white guy there, principal. Okooch is to my right. Moya David is to his right, at least as I'm looking, as I'm facing it. Moya David, the shorter one in the middle, uh, is the guy you saw in the picture. He's a Knox graduate, which is pretty cool. So he has a bachelor's degree from Knox, and now he's working at Knox, which is super exciting. He's honest. He's, he's a pastor uh, in a village church that does such a great job. The guy to the right of him is Kakule Joseph, a graduate of arts also with a master's degree. So he's, one, he's my warden and my instructor. And the guy to the right is Magala Paul, who is a graduate of African Bible University in Kampala, which is a good school. And he's our registrar, and he teaches some classes uh, he has a bachelor's degree. The rule is you have to have a degree, one degree above the one that you're teaching. So if you're teaching bachelor's level, you're supposed to have a master's degree, which is good for the OPC because I'm going to be asking the presbyteries in the OPC to start sending pastors over to help us teach. By next year, and especially by the third year, we're going to have three full classes going simultaneously, not including the diploma classes, which should be run somewhat separately. So we're going to need a lot of teachers and if every presbytery in the OPC sent a pastor once or even every two years, uh, we would have the ability to have part-time teachers help us fill in a lot of gaps. And again, the level of teaching is, is, not, is not PhD level teaching. So praise the Lord and pray. I need uh, two or three or four more Africans there to take my place. Um, and uh, our time there is limited. Uh, we might not be there much longer, so pray for a replacement, as you'll see. Um, this is the new student orientation, August 2022. National Council, I'll refer to them as Nietzsche, was supposed to accredit us in June. But I don't know if someone didn't get, I don't know what they were waiting for, but our, our application got put on hold, which means somebody wanted something somehow. We, don't, we didn't ever figure that out. We literally got accredited in uh, August is when we got our letter saying, you are provisionally licensed to give bachelors and diplomas. And we started at the end of that very month. Everyone thought we were crazy, but we did it. So this is our first class orientation. We had 15 students to start, or 17, and we're down to 13, which is very healthy, very good. All those guys that went, they needed to go for a variety of reasons. Uh, and so this is the, this is the class as, as we've just, that's maybe taken three weeks ago, this picture. Uh, Sarah is on the left. She's Ugandan. To the, to the right of her is Augustino. He's from South Sudan, so you have South Sudan and then Congo down below. Uh, Uganda, beside him seated, is from Kenya. Above that, Uganda, and then South Sudan. And the, the, the boy in the middle, I don't have it, he's the taller one right beside the S, light blue shirt. Good story about him is that he's from Karamoja, and he's from our mission. This is the first time we've seen this happen, where Karamoja has been able to train up young men who are good quality, and, and by good quality, I mean morally and ethically good and also academically capable of entering a bachelor's program, which very few people in the region we were in in Karamoja could do. His, um, um, why am I blanking? Timo, we call him Timothy, we call him Timo. He uh, represents huge prayer requests and possible uh, prayers for the future if he decides to go back to Karamoja, which, by the way, nobody wants to do. <laughs> Not even Karamojong. Nobody, why would you go back in that particular place? It's a dreadful place. So pray for Timo. He's married recently and has a baby, uh, and is uh, his wife's part-time cook. So it's a real blessing to have him. And then we have, again, Burundi down there, and Uganda, South Sudan, and Uganda. So it's a, it's a very fun place to teach for me, all the different cultures. You may not think African cultures are that different, and in many ways they're very similar, but in many ways they're very different. Like when the Sudanese students were complaining about Ugandan food, <laughs> they, don't like, they don't like matoke, which is a plantain that they eat a lot. But anyway, it's fun. It's a great place. And this was our dedication of our service that we had recently in February, uh, where we recognized the graduates from our first program at LIU and also recognized the new student. And we dedicated, we actually wanted sort of a trial run for a graduation. Could we pull off a graduation? Are we organized enough to do it? And it went off beautifully. Uh, Phil Proctor was there. Uh, John Falk was there. I think John maybe is in the next picture. Um, and uh, Doug Clawson was there. It was a great time of celebration and praise. I want to go back to this one, by the way. We had traditional cultural dancers there, which is always dangerous. As I said, most of the cultural dances uh, 
concentrate on the hips, shall we say. So we, we encourage the uh, Acholes, that's a tribe up northwest, where they put jars on their head. So that keeps, they can still move, though. I can't believe how well they can move, but uh, I wish I had a video of it. But they put as many as eight jars on there while they're dancing. So we had a great celebration of loud music and dancing and cakes and ice cream. It was really fun. Uh, and we just praised the Lord for all it was doing. And most recently, we just purchased a plot of land. We've more than doubled the size of our uh, campus space now. We've gone from four acres to ten acres uh, that we own there. And the sky's the limit now in terms of how Knox can develop and grow to meet the National Council requirements, particularly we need a, a new administration and library building. Um, I have a dream for two cottages that OPC pastors, when Matthew comes, you could have a nice place to stay. But for some reason, the committee put that on level two instead of level one. Uh, but uh, so we need uh, an administration building and a library. We would like to get uh, faculty housing and staff. It seems odd in America that you would build faculty housing. It's an expected thing in Africa in many places that you, if you employ someone, you provide them a, a small place to live. So this land is an amazing story because we've seen people that have taken as long as a year to get their title for their property. We got it the very day we purchased it. Never, no one that I ever met has ever heard of such a thing. So it's a praise of the Lord as an answer to prayers. And then we need to just simply work on developing this land. So astonishing opportunities now that are before us to, to have a seminary, to have a, a theological educational institution that's one of a kind in the area. The only other that's like it is in Mukanyo College. It's called in South Africa. And it's very South African, focusing on South African issues and places and dem demography. We are going to be the only reformed bachelor's program, accredited program in East, Western, or Central Africa that we know of. Your church is now <laughs> on the cutting edge of theological education in Africa. The African Evangelical Presbyterian Church, we're in contact with them recently, they may just start sending their guys to Knox. The Sudanese Reformed Church sent four of their guys to Knox and two to Mukanyo, so they're still sort of testing the waters. But I have a feeling we'll be serving the Sudanese Reformed Church fairly exclusively because it's way cheaper and I think we're better. So uh, what we've got here, in, for me anyway, having seen it, having been told it can't be done, and then seeing that God has done things far beyond what we were even able to ask or imagine. So, uh, and for me, there's more to come. If now that we have this land, if we could build an administration and library building, we'd almost be ready for the next stage, which is permanent charter status of, for the National Council. So we would be permanently chartered. And uh, I, the curriculum is something that I'm so proud of because we have a reformed confessional curriculum that's unlike anything, even in Mukanyo. Mukanyo is a good school, but there's nothing like this in Africa, nothing that I know of. And so you, you guys, your church, pray for us as we develop this. Pray for great things to happen um, because it's, it's more than possible. That's like my students say. I say, are you ready? They say, we are more than ready. <laughs> so so <laughs> that's the way Knox is right now. And so let me just move to prayer request, and then I will, we're done it. Uh, okay. Um, praise the Lord. A lot of praises, as you'll see up there. We have provisional education, uh, accreditation. Building projects are finished, but more to come. A new program has started with new students. Praise the Lord for the purchase of the new land. Pray for developments of the campus on the land. Now it's my job to pray for me because I don't particularly like this, but I've got to develop with architects and planners the new buildings and where they'll go and the new wells and all of these other things. So uh, pray, that, pray that that'll get done. Pray for All Nations Presbyterian Church Plant. Most of my work and effort goes into Knox, but now that we've started a church plant, I remember what it was like here, uh, carrying chairs and books and projectors and all these things. Uh, but thankfully, I have a lot of interns that are helpful, uh, and I really enjoyed getting back into the, to the normal routine of preaching weekly. That's been a blessing to me. So the church plant's going well. We need a new place. Continued blessings of the book ministry, and pray for a new missionary. Uh, and you'll, I don't mean to emphasize it too much, but I put it in gigantic bold print there for you. Our son Zach just had new twins. It's personal stuff. Good health for us. We have, we don't, we're struggling with some things, and we don't think we're going to be able to keep staying on the field much longer because we, we can't manage those things as well there as you can here. So the Jacksons will need to be coming off the field soon. How soon? We're not exactly sure. We're pretty close, but it's soon. And so uh, pray for our health. Uh, pray for our son Robert. We've noticed that we have a car. By the way, thank you for helping us with a car. 
I know Jim Alton, see where you are. Thank you, sir, for your help getting the car. And the Salazars, if they're here somewhere, don't see them. But anyway, thank you for that. Uh, pray for our future. We don't know what our future holds. We don't know what exactly where we'll be in two years. And again, surprisingly, pray for a new missionary in Uganda. So uh, if you didn't notice that, we need a new missionary in Uganda. <laughs> so, and we, we really seriously do. I mean, we need someone to simply say, I'll go. Because even after they say, I'll go, there's a couple months of training. There's working with your church. Assuming the guys have us a church, there's all kinds of things. Even if a guy said yes tomorrow, it might be a full year before he gets there. Who knows? So pray earnestly. Uh, God can do anything he wants to do, of course, but pray earnestly for that. So I think I have maybe five minutes. Yes, Scott. Have what? Oh, yeah. That's a great question. Let me say that on the front end of the fundraising, it was just strange, blessed quirks of providence. I'll give you an example. I'm literally, I was dreaming about this pavilion for a long time and praying about it. I thought, Lord, we need this. This is what we can. So I'm literally, I called an, an engineer, as they call him, which is a word for like a contractor. He's out there and we're measuring. And some unknown car pulled up. And lady gets out, hi, I'm Marilyn, and, and there's a tall Dutch, old, there's an older Dutch guy there, I'm so-and-so, I forget. We are from Karamoja, we're friends with the Verdicts. Great. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm just dreaming, I'd like to build a pavilion here for a church, cafeteria, conference, blah, blah, blah. She said, well, how much will it cost? I said, I don't know, five, ten thousand dollars And she said, well, I'll give that. I said, I meant twenty-five or 30000 at least. <laughs> so she... <laughs> She didn't buy it, but she, she gave money, and then her church gave more money. And then, again, a random email from New Zealand. Do you guys have any needs? I'm like, yeah. And here they are. And so it went from just a dream to a pavilion and a campus renovation. And then I was like, you know what? We can do this. And I heard about Word and Deed and contacted them. Now, I'm, a, I'm constrained by fundraising. If I weren't, I think I could raise money for this fast. But in the OPC, our fundraising mechanisms are through the Committee on Coordination and the Committee on Foreign Missions. So they set a budget. And so it's not my job, nor, nor should it be, to come here and say, we need 150000 for a new library and administration building, which we do, by the way. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm, not, you know, I'm not here saying, give us hundred grand. I mean, you can and you should if you want to, but I, I, you know what I mean? I don't raise money like that. I tell you what's happening, I give you our prayer requests, and we pray, pray for it. But next year, I hope to introduce into the budget of the Committee on Foreign Missions our new administration and library building and hope that they can simply, as a matter of askings and part of the budget, build this for us. The cottages, I'll give you another example. A guy came to, to teach. I won't tell you his name because he wants to remain anonymous. He loved what we're doing so much at Knox. He's from Australia. He said, these cottages you're talking about for visiting professors, and I think he meant for himself because he'd like to come back. How much do you think one cottage would be? I said, I don't know, $30,000, $30,000. Two days later, he said, we'd like to give you 30,000 euros for these cottages. I'm like, okay. Wow. So fundraising so far has just been God's extraordinary providence. But uh, if we put focused effort into it, I think the entire campus of Knox could be finished within a year or two. And I think that a charter accreditation would be probably after our first graduation, we could immediately start the process. And whoever's there after me can just, we need someone to work that through to the next stage. I don't, I don't think I want to be there. I wouldn't mind being there. I'd love to be there. But I won't be there for the charter status stage which will be more of the first stage, except kind of even more intense. So, yeah, fundraising has been just beautiful stories of providence where God has said, here, here's your pavilion out of nowhere. And then here, here's word and deed. Sure, we'll give you $35,000. They give us, I think, thirty or 40000 towards a $60,000 project. And the other sixty, I just sent a letter to my family and friends. I'm allowed to send letters to family and friends outside of the OPC. And it plugged the holes, and we got our next section built. So it's just been a beautiful providence in terms of favoring Knox right now. Yes, ma'am, I see that hand again. Which man? Oh, oh, yeah, he's, oh, well, he was, a, he was a professor, a friend of mine that worked at Arts, and Okuch's former sponsor. Okuch, by the way, his story, he was from South Sudan. His father was killed in the many wars that are always there, so his mother was widowed. He actually ended up in a refugee camp in Kenya for about three or four years, came home, and in a quirk of providence, 
his church called him and said, you're going to uh, Lokochokio, Kenya. It's like, I think he was 15 maybe. And he said, for what? And he said, just get on the plane and go. It's pastoral training. He said, I'm not a pastor. He said, go. So he arrives there, and all of these guys in their 30s and up or 40s and old men, 60s, are like, what's this kid doing here? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> so he's there. It's by, done by MRF, Middle East Reform Fellowship. So Okuch goes from a refugee camp to home to Kenya again for training. And when our friend Ian saw this kid, he says, this kid is extraordinary. So he and his wife sponsored him to go to secondary school in Kenya and then uh, undergraduate in Uganda and graduate degree at arts. He also, while he was working at arts, almost got another degree in computer science uh, just part-time. He's such an extraordinary worker. So, um, yeah, Okucha's story is, is a... It's, and, and the whole story of Knox is filled with individual amazing stories like that. Where did Okuch come from, this great guy? Well, extraordinary story. From, from refugee camp to reformed training to a reformed sponsor who now, and they would have sent him anywhere, by the way. They said, what do you want to do? They kept trying to say, go to medical school, go, to law, go become a lawyer. He said, I think I like theology. <laughs> so again, that decision years ago ended up giving me one of the best teachers that I have and administrators from a refugee camp. I think he's going to write a story for New Horizons soon. It's a great story. It's just a brilliant story. Yeah, thank you. How much I got? Maybe a... 30 seconds. Any questions in 45 or seconds or a minute? I just, Matthew reminded me that I, I was, if I would have been on African time this morning, I would have gone from being like uh, right on time to like I still have 45 minutes to get here. So if you'll give me a little bit of African time, I can field maybe one or two more questions if you have them. Okay. Yes. All right. It's a new concept for me, pastorally. Uh, an annoying reality for my wife, you know, because she's like, what's he doing here with that wife at church? It's like, oh, no. <laughs> I mean, what do you do with a guy, personal example, uh, left his wife, divorced her, got married to another wife, and yet she refused to divorce him. She refused to leave him, so she was a drunk. She got saved and changed, and he's like, what's going on? And so he gets saved. He goes to church with his second wife as well. And so our position on polygamy has been that when a, we, when a man comes into the church or comes to faith with more than one wife, that our counsel is to be faithful and, and provide for both. But he's never going to be allowed to be a deacon or an elder or a leader in the church. But we don't counsel divorce of either one of the wives, which may be the woman's instincts, like, why doesn't he just get rid of her? And, uh, but polygamy is a weird, awkward situation that's never easy or good. Um, but it's there, and it's a new, it was a new pastoral, certainly, question or reality for me. What do you do with a member with two wives? Or someone who wants to join, who has a credible profession of faith, but has two wives due to his history, his past. Or Muslims that convert who have three or four wives. Uh, so we, our council, been the council of the mission for years now, is that we, we require and ask for faithfulness to all the wives uh, within the bounds of, of marriage, and the, the, the rights you have to provide, protect, and take care of your family and your children, even if it's multiple wives. It's a little weird. It's awkward. Uh, but it's, it's illegal, actually, in one sense. But there's a lot of people have a lot of wives. Yes? Uh, 41 million in the nation, 70% under that. Is, yeah, for us... For us right now, it's our church plant working with that boarding school to train and teach Bible stories and catechisms and songs, about 300 of them. Now, those are, those are primary school students. The outreach of the adolescents, I don't, to be honest, I don't do anything. Some of my students, like Burundi is only 19 years old. <laughs> he's there, he came from Burundi and he's only 19. Yeah, well, Paul Magala has a church there at Knox, and he does a great ministry, but his church is filled mostly with women and uh, uh, mothers who are single mothers or widows. So he does a great outreach on Saturday afternoon on Knox campus with those children. But me personally, I, have, I, I don't uh, have any sort of particular focus, except now in our new church plant. We're about to start a Sunday school program, catechism program, and Wednesday night Bible study. That's coming up, which is going to be, again... Uh, 
exhausting. What we're doing there is, is kind of overwhelming because there's just not enough time or resources for it, for me personally. That's why we need another person badly. Uh, a what? Well, we have actually given some of them work. I talked to my contractor and said, look, I got three little boys that don't have anything to do, put them to work. Digging where we were digging was, <laughs> you, when you take, they don't have a shovel, right? So it's like a hoe. You grab that dirt and pull it off, it won't come off your hoe. <laughs> it's like uh, clay, it's kind of a mud clay mixture that's, it's, Okuch and I, you saw a picture, we were pretending to work with our hose. And the first time I went down there and got a chunk, I was like, whoa. <laughs> and I couldn't get it off. And I was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not fit to dig like that. So, so we did put them to work. That helps. You'd be amazed. Um, labor is a, is a miracle. Giving someone a job is a miracle almost, especially in a place like Uganda, because they learn so much. But not much specifically that I do towards that. A lot of opportunities. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, we got, we've, we have confronted that personally. I'll tell you a pretty cool story. We got one more story and then I'll stop over a bit. But if it were Africa, I'd have an hour or so. Uh, but I know I'm not in Africa. So when we're building our campus at Knox, especially the last section, this came to our attention afterwards. It's really super cool. It tells you the, the prevalence, especially among Muslims. The Muslims are super into witch doctors and, and the supernatural and African traditional religion, way more so than the Christians although Christians are constantly dabbling in it. Uh, you'll see bands and bracelets around children, Christian children, that are there intended to ward off the evil, evil spirits or the angry ancestors or whatever. But when we were building Knox, we confronted a lot of, this is last summer, uh, all of a sudden we had officials come and say, cease and desist, bring us papers. You can't do this, you're violating this. So our contractor would have to go figure it out. It would take a week and then he'd, it was a lie, it wasn't true. The guy had been bribed to do it. Our Muslim neighbors, that, that school, they were bribing the officials to come harass us. That didn't work, we got through that. So what we found out later was they hired a witch doctor. And every night about 2 a.m. the witch doctor was going around the campus on the corner. Every corner he would invoke the ancestors or whatever he invoked. And at the middle of the gate, he uh, would lay down his, his uh, juju and curse the school every day at two o'clock for a couple weeks. So finally one night, as the story goes, he came and he went to put the juju down. He heard a noise and saw something from above and it swacked him on the head, knocked him down, and he couldn't move. He was like paralyzed, and so somehow he crawled back home. His wife took him to the hospital. He says, I'm never going back to that Canucks. They call it Canucks. I'm never going back to that Canucks because they have a, I think I know what they've done, he said. They have hired a witch doctor from Zanzibar. And they have a very powerful spirit protecting them. And I said, I think it's the Holy Spirit, actually. But witchcraft is very prevalent. If you get sick and you can't afford traditional medicine, you'll hire a witch doctor to help. And uh, it's mixed with even the worship practices there in many churches, particularly the style and kind of music where they use music to leverage emotions to this frenzied uh, pace where everyone's screaming and jumping around, falling down, all that very close to the tribal, traditional African religious practices around the fire, when the witch doctors would have people dancing and so forth. So it's super prevalent, uh, amazingly prevalent among Christians, but especially the Muslims. I, that's what surprised me. I didn't realize the Muslims were so superstitious and involved in witchcraft. So it's a common part of life that's a, a prayer need for Christians to get away from it. Like when a child comes for baptism, we ask them to renounce all the beads and all the Superstat, you don't. We're not going to baptize your baby till you reject that. So it's pretty common to have to actually talk about that, as opposed to here. I saw a bead on one of the new twins, and I was like, "Is that to ward off evil spirits?" <laughs> but it was just a gift from an aunt. So anyway, <laughs> uh, I think I'm done. I should be done. Even I can talk later. I'm glad to hang around and answer questions if you'd like. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you both, both to you and to Connie for all your hard work. And um, let's just pray for the Jacksons and their, and their labors. Lord, thank you so much uh, for the very fruitful and productive season of ministry that you've given to the Jacksons in Uganda. We thank you for all the wonderful things we heard about, the, the book room, um, the many improvements to the college, the um, new church plant. Um, we praise you, Lord, for all these things, for your amazing provision. Um, and we thank you so much for bringing students to the college 
who are eager to know the things of God better and to shepherd your people. We do pray that um, you would continue your generous provision for this work. We pray that you would provide for all their needs, but especially for the most important need of another, of another missionary to come and carry on the good work. We pray that you would be working even now to prepare someone who would be well-equipped um, and filled with um, not just um, good, good understanding, but also a genuine love for your church in Africa. We pray that you continue to provide good pastors to your church in Africa, people who are well-equipped with the knowledge of Christ, how to, able to handle the word well, and who truly are men of character. Lord, we know that um, your spirit is in the midst of triumphing over all manner of darkness and sin. We pray that you continue to show yourself the mighty God who is able to save and build your church. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. I could mention just one more praise and prayer request. I just were finding out recently the details are coming together, but I'm getting a year-long intern next year, which awesome. I totally need. So that's a super big praise. Praise God. Praise yeah. God. Yeah. And let me also ask um, if if you're a teenager here, if you could go downstairs and help us up for our fellowship meal in the time before service, we'd most appreciate it. Thank you, everybody.